0: welcome to the talk and chatter experience powered by gasoline alley harley davidson m33 productions and moto products my guest today is the voice of australian motorcycle racing Mark Brax. Mark started his career in sports as a freelance photographer and later adapted to being a writer and a journalist for different publications across the globe. In 2006 and 2007, Mark was the Dawner pit lane reporter for MotoGP and had some fantastic experiences along the way. Mark's journey over these years is one of much laughter and plenty of stories and I hope you get to enjoy these throughout this podcast. If you get the chance, head over to our YouTube and hit subscribe to our channel. We'll sit back and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Mark Brax.
1: No worries, mate. Thank you. Mate, um, we're
0: here at Queensland Raceway again. Obviously, thanks to everyone for homing me here um, for the day to do this, for one thing, but good to be back at a racetrack, isn't it?
1: Very much so. It's um, The last couple of years has been tough for everybody. Um, we're in the wrong game, I suppose, in that regard, whereas, you know, if you're a chippy or something, you're working your butt off, but with no racing and the uh, last couple of years been pretty challenging, Yep. Um, you know, I'm not getting any younger and you think, how long is this going to keep on going? And actually started looking at another business in the last couple of years of i started making beef jerky as a hobby oh really and um the response for that i've yeah i've done a course i'm building a trailer to turn into a kitchen and have something else beside because i realize i've realized that you've got to be in control of your own destiny and if this time last year we didn't know if we were going to go racing in the next five years with everything that was going on so um, yeah, I've decided on that. Now, this has happened in the last six, six weeks. I've been flat out with the commentary going everywhere, so. Yeah, because
0: when we first started talking about doing this as well, um, what do you got, seven weeks straight back to back? Yeah, something like that, yeah. It's a hectic schedule again, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, what was the start off with? The go-karts at Phillip Island and ASBK at Phillip Island. Mini GP in Melbourne, uh, the new concept of the Ovales. Then um, last weekend was um, Supercarts in Darwin. Uh Darwin. Supercarts in the Bend. Yeah. Back here, over here, Queensland Raceway. Then next weekend's one saggy and then weekend off and then um, up to Mackay for the second round of the Oz So, Mate, hey, that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> making up lost <laughs> last time.
0: For sure.
1: What, why beef jerky? I've got to ask you that. What, what got you into that? I just liked it. I'd, well... I think I'm the same as everybody. You get stuff at the supermarkets and you think, oh, it just tastes like schmackos. <laughs> and I just thought, well, and I, I saw Aldi had a dehydrator for 50 bucks and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a crack at it. So started making that and everybody I gave it to is going, that's the best stuff I've ever had. Wow. So I've um, been selling, giving away because now that you've got to go through all the, the rigmarole of health departments and meat authorities and everything, there's a lot of hoops to jump through on if I'd been making cupcakes, it'd be a lot easier, but because I'm dealing with meat and yep. a raw product, I've got to go through food supervisors course, food handling courses, get the councils involved to make sure you can't have a kitchen in your house doing it. You've got to have a separate kitchen. So oh, wow. there's a lot of a lot of rigmarole in it. It's like, wow, I've really set myself but it's just yeah, it's a really good product. And then I took some away um, to Phillip Island last week or just gave some away and they go, mate, when are you going to start selling this? Wow. And I've got four places on the island that want to start selling it, including butcher shops and cafes and stuff. So mail order. So hopefully by the end of the year, um, get it set up. I'm changing the name of it because it's different. Yep. Uh, I'm not going to call it jerky. I'm going to call it something else. Okay, yep. But... Um, I won't say too much just in case anybody gets onto it and thinks it's a good idea. Yeah. But um, that, I've got the labelling sorted, the marketing, all that ready to go. So it's just a matter of getting the legalities done and away we go. Now
0: that's quite a, quite a different thing from what you've done for a long time now. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a total swap, isn't it?
1: Well, I think because if you do it right, you can make some money out of it. Like, yep. Um, Getting into this game, you know, we all wanted to make money out of it, but there's no – you do it for the passion, as you know. If you're in this game for the money, you're in the wrong game. Yeah. And saying that, um, it's given me – like money can't buy what I've done. For sure. And, you know, I'm a billionaire by the experiences I've had. So with going around the world, doing everything that I've done, the friends I've got, money can't buy that. So – uh, money's not everything. You can't take it with you when you go. You can take your memories with you. I don't know how far they get, but you know you, that's one thing that's um, and the the camaraderie in the paddock, whether it's here, a motocross event, go kart event like last weekend, where I was pretty green for that, all the way through to world championship, everybody's there with the same passion, the same interest, the same love of speed, whether it's four wheels or two wheels, and yeah, it's just a, and being back here and getting, like. It's good for the mental health. Mm. Okay, it's good to watch the people out on track and get the buzz, but just interacting with people. Yeah. And like I'm, last year I got away to Darwin to go and race up there and commentate um, and getting on a racetrack on a bike up there was the best thing for my mental health that I, anybody could do. It was yeah. like you can't think of much else except what's in front of you. Absolutely,
0: and especially if you're coming from Victoria – I mean, you have been on lockdown for 300 plus days at that time yep. when you went up there. It would have been a nice feeling to get up there. and.
1: Well, I just got into it. I was supposed to fly up on the Sunday night mm. and by then we were still in lockdown in Melbourne. Mm. Then Monday come and they said, okay, well, restrictions are um, lifted and I've been in two weeks quarantine or isolation because my partner works at Woolies and she was a close contact from a, a customer that came yep. into the store. So all those people were in the store at that time. I had to take two weeks off and I was guilty by association by being living with her. So, yep. And that lifted and the boys from Darwin rang me up, the good old boys at the Terror Club, Phil Ryan and Cohen. Um, they said, Braxy, it's lifted. Darwin's lifted the borders or Northern Territories lifted the borders. Jump on a plane and we'll
0: mean, work it out
1: when you get here. So I jumped on a plane and worked it out when I got there. Mate, you've, you've got
0: a motorsport brain like, no Other, like you've been to nearly every track in the world, you've spoken to everyone in the paddocks. You've where, where did that all begin? Like, was it a rider originally? Like, you've done defense
1: force as well, obviously. Yeah, I was, made, I was in the air force, yeah. Um, did an apprenticeship there. Um, always had any. We all, funny in the air force, there were so many blokes had bikes, uh, um, right. yeah, and it was road mainly road bikes. Some of us raced, I did an occasional bit of racing, but nothing serious. Um, and then over a period of time I'd always had the interest in photography. Mm. And my aim was when I wasn't when I knew I didn't have the money or maybe the talent to go racing, I took up the second best thing, which was photography. So I'd started taking photographs of mates. And then selling them and then other people saw it. And then a love of photography got me into doing rugby league photography for the Uh, North Sydney Bears at the time and the Eastern Suburbs Roosters. Yeah. So I started doing freelance photography and thinking, oh, this is good. And then the thought was to go overseas and join the GP Circus as a photographer when you could, like back then in the mid-'80s, it was mid to late-'80s, it was pretty easy to get into a paddock. Wow. And um, went over there, uh, did a bit of freedom, went over to England, uh, did the British Grand Prix and I was only there for a week. I was originally going to be there for a week and Kevin McGee's gone, what, you going back to Australia now? And I've gone, yeah, and he said, no, no, come to Sweden. So I got a lift to Sweden with Doug Chivers. I like Doug Chivers and with the sidecar boys. Went over there, came back to England, broke, got a job um, on a building site, setting out building sites and to, that was just to get money to go back and do the tour and the whole, the whole thing was to be a... The world's best for or a, make a living out of being a GP photographer. Yep, and I was at the Isle of Man in 1990, and I was selling photos back then when you had the the original tranny and all the rest of it. Yeah, selling them there and then from uh, it was a photo of Carl Fogarty I was selling and a couple of others, and and that you used to make get really good money over there for one photograph and. Um, a, a, an editor, Gary Pynchon, he was an editor of uh, Road Racing Monthly, it was called at the time. It used to be Motorcycle News over there. He's worked in various different magazines. And he came up and said, um, do you write? And I'm, yeah, yeah, never written a thing in my life. But <laughs> being a freelancer, you think, well, there's an extra bit of coin I might yeah. be able to earn. So he said, um, at the time, um, there was a heap of young kids coming up through the 125s and um, 250 championships. And he said, I want an interview with Wilco Zielenberg, a feature on him. And I went, oh, yeah, I've heard of him, da-da-da. So I flew to Austria, oh, the Grand Prix. I didn't see the t- final TT at the Isle of Man. Um, went and found Wilco. Um, interviewed him, put the tape down in front of him, transcribed every word, then wrote the story and sent it off to Gary. And I got to the next Grand Prix at the Dutch Grand Prix. And back then there was a Rothmans had a, their own little press centre and team centre for the teams with doing and gardener and um, off the side was a little press centre. Yep. And Nick Harris, who'd been around for donkeys years, he was the head of the doing a lot of press for... Well, he was the Rothmans press man at the time. Um, and he said, oh, there's a fax on the desk for you. And I went and had a look at it and Gary said, that was brilliant. I'll have anything you can give me. And I went, "Ah, oh, okay, I'm a writer. Yeah. And at that time, I was also, to get more money, I was doing... Um, well, they used to call it stringing for Triple M and other AM radio stations mm-hmm. in Australia where they'd have the press conference with Gardner and Doohan. You'd ring up with a little grab and a little 20-second report and that got my name around Australia. I would like to. I found out later I was the one that broke the news electronically in Australia when McDoohan crashed in 92 and broke his leg because I, I was straight on the phone and... Wow. They interrupted um, music and talkback sessions on 2UE and th- th- uh, all that AM stations and the Triple M network. Yeah. And then they said, well, when you get back to Australia, you're have a job here, with, like freelancing, but just going in what they call a stringer, going at to different sports and doing little grabs like that. And then because of that, I turned up at a track one day and it was a Bears meeting in Sydney. Yeah. Uh, British, European, you know, the, the big V yep. twins and everything. that dukes and harleys and whatever and um they said i oh, commentator hasn't turned up would you mind having a go you know we've heard you on the radio and i went oh yeah i'll have yeah i'll have a crack and then the next week jim skasebrook rang me up and he said i heard you he said we've got the tea, australia tt down at port Kembla next week, or in a couple of weeks time yeah would you like to work with um will hagen and doug mulray and i went yeah all right yeah wow. so from there, it was. I've never gone out purposely to be a commentator or yeah. a writer or anything. My all aim was my passion for photography. And it's just flowed on from one to the other and um, started from those events. And it just, one thing, Ken Wooten helped me get into the um, Aussie Superbikes and the Grand Prix, yep. doing the World Supers and uh, just at Phillip Island for the one round. And in 2004, 2005, Like I was running up and down pit lane, I'd already been doing about three or four years, and I'd got to know Colin Edwards and the Baylisses and all the rest of it and everything. And Colin's come out to me, and he said, "Oh, we need you in Europe. You're doing really, you know, but what? would you know, we we can tell what tyres you're using by the temperatures you're giving over the air." And I'm going, "What? You're listening to me?" And He said, "Yeah, everybody along pit lane's listening to the feed that you're putting out." you're given so much information. We need you in Europe. And wow. I went, oh, yeah, okay. I was a bit dumbfounded by it, but then everybody in the paddock was just saying, mate, you've got to apply, you know? And yeah. I I put in an email that after that, it took me a while, a few weeks afterwards to do the email and I thought, oh, yeah, I've done it. That's the last I'll hear about it. And then a couple of months later, Australia Day, um, left it, gone down the pub, Australia Day, have a beer with a mate. I was living up on Lake Macquarie, had a place up there. Yep. And got back and there's a message on the phone. I listened to it and it's Gavin Emmett from Dorner saying, um, "You know, we got your application. We're looking for a commentator. Would you like to come and join us?" And I, I honestly thought it was a piss take. Yeah. Because I've rang them up and I've got the, the girls answered speaking Spanish, and I'm going, "Oh, maybe it is fair Dinkum." Yeah. And so that I got a, I got uh, two years doing that, but the guy that hired me was the guy that fired me so wow um, that must be a weird feeling yeah, yeah yeah and it was one of those ones where uh, when you meet somebody and they've been told to give you the job mm. and being english and you know you know when you meet someone that you got to work with and yeah. you think this it's is like going to be hard gang. work yeah yeah and that was my, the first impression I'm going this is going to be hard work and that I that it was true like I'm um, I was there even by myself. Um, you know, like they'd fly me to each Grand Prix but then between races I had to look after my own self, find my own place to live. All oh, that really? Sort of, yeah. Yeah. So um, you're basically on your own and, um, you know, with one of the few English speakers there with a couple of the – like Gavin and a couple of others, I was never invited to any of the concerts I were going to or anything. It was just like I'm on the outside here. So mm. I did my work and then – Um, after the end of the second year, I went to negotiate this. I thought, yep, here for the third year and he's basically said, no, there's a couple of things I don't like about you and I'm going in a different direction. I went, so what is it that I've done wrong? And he said, oh, no, you've done nothing real wrong, but you're too passionate and too friendly with the riders. And I've gone, right, I'm in pit lane and okay, all right. And then we had another meeting at like successive Grand Prixs. Yep. And the same reason come up. ...you're too passionate and too friendly with the riders. And I just went, Gab, if that's the best excuse you can come up with... ...you just don't want me here. Yeah. A typical case of nepotism. And I think when I look back on it... ...well, I would look back on it from the very start... ...because I was the Aussie voice... ...I was getting a lot of uh, attention yeah. when he wasn't. Mm. And I think that was the... ...and as Colin Edwards said to me... ...he said, your problem was you were on the same ladder, ladder as Gav, ...but he was above you... As soon as you got close, he had hit you on the hands and dropped you off. Yeah. And that was basically a very good analogy of what actually happened. Because in,
0: in that role too, like um, it's all relationships. Yeah. You know, if you don't have that relationship with a rider,
1: what, what what do you have when you're in that role? Well, I, I was the one that was getting if someone had crashed Yep, and the hut, shutter door would come down on the pit box. Yeah. I'd stick it up and I'd go, yeah, you can come in and get the get this, um, scoop. I'd, I basically started... A, Interviews on the grid, they never did that before. Wow. And that was just an extension of what I did here. Yep, running around and getting the riders on the grid, and um, even uh, the grid and Park Ferme. Mm-hmm. I was told, No, you can't do it. I was going, I'm going to do the best job possible here. And riders are coming up to me, yep, and asking, actually talked. And Troy Bayless is a classic example when he won the. Um, Grand Prix at Valencia in 2006 when Nicky Hayden won the title and yep. one of the most emotional days of my life, that one. Um, and we got off the bike, Troy's won the race and Gavin's come up to me and he's looked me in the eye and I'm on the on the other side of the fence and he said, you're not interviewing Troy, all right? And I went, I'll do it. And Troy's just walked up to me and he's gone, he's pushed him out of the way and gone, Braxy, talk to me. Oh, so I've got him looking over my shoulder yep. um, and Troy picked up on it. And he's locked to be here and he's seen Gavin. So he just continued talking. What an awkward feeling. Yeah. And it was like there was – and at the time, like, I got invited to John Hopkins' wedding in Vegas at the end of A7. Yeah. And I've turned up there and I was the only journo, the only person from Dorner and the, there was 50 people at the wedding. Wow. And I'm like – Wow. And I think that was one reason that the jealousy, nepotism come into it. Yeah. Like at the US Grand Prix – Brad Pitt comes up and says, Good idea. Like, it's yeah. <laughs> <so Whoa>. like, <laughs> and uh, the one, um, we were at a Yamaha function, and um, next thing I'm in a headlock, and it's, um, oh, what's his name? He was in Friends. Um, oh, he was on top, he was the host of Top Gear for a while, I've forgotten his name. Well,
0: um,
1: like one of the original Top Gears? No, no, the one that replaced. Um, oh, not um, Bike Fan as well. Not, um, yeah. Um, Oh, I can see him. I can still feel the head like he was Matt, putting me in. Matt LeBlanc. LeBlanc. He's a mad yeah. bike fan, eh? Hey? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And well, we finished there. We said I oh, will go and get on the drink and blah blah blah. And we went out all night partying and everything. And yeah. then Tim Allen, I've gone up to him before the start of the Grand Prix and he's looked around and he's gone, You wanna interview me on the grid braxi? And this is dead set. There's no bullshit in this whatsoever. And I've gone, yeah, I would like to actually, Tim. Yeah. And he's gone, as long as you ask me about Ducatis and we're going to the Red Bull party tonight together, well, you can interview me. And I went, wow, sweet. (laughs) And we get to the Red Bull party and there's little mini-me there. He comes up, jumps on my hip, let's go play poker. And I'm in a (laughs) a very surreal moments and stuff. And it was all because of my Aussie accent. So that's got you in the doors. Yeah, because yep. everybody... And I remember the first Grand Prix I did at you um, in 06 and the, the the co-owner of Dawn has come up to me after the first race, the 125s, and he's grabbed me and he's given me a big kiss in pit lane he says, I love the Australian accent. This is going to be so good. And I really thought I was going to be there for a couple of years or a lot of years. And yep. when I got the flick, I went up to Manel, who I'd done a favour for by taken a fine for him, one of his speeding fines in Spain. He rang me up <laughs> in Australia going, help me, mate, help me. Yep. So I copped the, copped the points but he paid the fine and then when I went to see him to return a favour, he's gone, I do not tell my directors what tools to use, I cannot help you and I just went. Thanks. Yeah. Mm. So it was and in all honesty it was I never expected to get there. Yeah. Right, so it was a few years of bonus that I never thought I'd have. Yep. I was earning less money going over there than I was earning here. Because wow. of the you the the um the um Dorna don't pay a lot. Okay. Um and it was I'll just turn that off. Yep. Um So like say the um the Euro back then, um Still about the same. Point six to the So dollar, it's about the same, yeah. Probably about the same rate, right? yeah, everything yeah, goes so on. I still had the pay and the first year I was here, I got caught out. I didn't have all my tax properly done yep. or declared to them. So I, they were taking 25% out of me as well, which I never saw again. Um, so in that regard, um, it was disappointing. But at the same time, it was things I'd never thought I'd do. And, the, you know, the friendships. Yeah. Like I can ring Colin Edwards, Kevin Schwantz, John Hopkins up and just have a chat. And my, when, they, when they answer the phone, they go, G'day, Braxy, how are you? You go wow, Wow. my my name's in their phone. It's not as if they're asking who it is or anything. It's just and when they come out to Australia, we hook up or whatever. And it's just, yeah, like I said, I haven't earned a lot of money, but the experience you have, you can't. That's the
0: currency, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you listen to those stories of, you know, playing poker with Tim Allen. Yeah, and
1: like all that that sort of stuff is just surreal. And, you know, if I went back to them now, they probably wouldn't even recognise me. But I don't know. It's Mm. just. One of those things and those moments in time and like even Brad Pitt walking past and, and he was being very heavily guarded because yep. he's Brad Pitt. But, you know, he's walking past. G'day, Braxy, comes over and shakes your hand. Wow. And it's like – and the same with the late Keith Flint from Prodigy. Yes. One of the most beautiful people I've ever met. Um, he was at the German Grand Prix in 06. He came up and introduced himself. Wow. Mad motorcyclists, covered in tats like neck tats, a whole lot. Yep. You look at him and you think, man, this guy's really mean, ugly, whatever. But one of the nicest down. I get upset talking about it. Um, mm. The way he approached, just a real. Are we going for a beer tonight, you know? do you yep. want? And I'm. Um, do you want uh, tickets to my concerts? Anything will go backstage and whatnot. That prodigy's really up my. I'm a bit old. But that sort of, <laughs> uh, the fire starter stuff, but no. And then he came out to Australia one time. He was with Carl Mugridge and yep. come up to the tower at Philby, and he said, "Oh, mate, I wanted to see you." And it's like, wow, Keith. And it's so then he he commits suicide. Yep. You know, it's, I think it's it'd be two years ago. Very very soon this yeah. date that he's committed. So it might be even three years now. Yeah, it would have to be. I'd say. Hey, yeah, so. And the people you meet like that, just you can't. Yeah and money can't buy. But in, then there's the other side of the coin where you see mates like Kirk McCarthy here. Yeah. 2004, you're talking to him at lunchtime. Two hours later, he's dead. Mm. You know, it's um very good sport, but a very hard sport. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, um,
0: so many roller coasters with it, isn't there? There really yeah. is. With, uh, with, with your 06, 06, 07 was your time, hey? Yeah. Pre-GFC, Aussies
1: in the field. Must yeah. have been a good time to be there. I think it was probably one of the... And the Americans in the field Americans as well.
0: Americans in the field, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. and before, like, the first time I went over there was 88. So, mm. And that time was the Schwantz, the Rainies, the Doohans, the Gardeners, yep. uh, the Dougie Chandlers, Kaczynskis, all those boats coming across. And The Randy Mammler was still there. Randy was still working in 06, 07. There was that fun factor in the paddock. Mm. And there was parties going on and, you know, that that doesn't happen anymore. It's a lot because of the corporate dollar that's come into it. Everybody's got to say the same thing. You can almost write your own post-race scripts about what they're going to say. Absolutely. You know, yep. and it's, um, it's taken a bit of the the rawness out of it, I suppose. Mm. The fact that, you know, that they'd say things off the cuff and now if anybody says that, everybody's in shock, oh, you can't say that. Yeah, Barry, the sponsor's going to be upset or yeah. whatever. Yep. Yeah, And but if you get – look at it the other side. If the guy's a bit controversial – He's going to give your sponsors more exposure because they're going to be going to him looking for that line. Absolutely. As long as he's not wishing death upon anybody or whatever. But yep. um, to go out there and be a bit controversial, be a p- personality in the sport. Yep. Like in, with the Spanish now, no offence to them, but they're all so... Blinked from them because they've been on, yeah, their whole life purpose is from being on a mini GP bike all the way through. It's very robotic, isn't it? Yeah, like and the whole thing, the pattern of the riding,
0: yeah, right through to the media training. It's yeah. just here's the here's the process, you follow that like a robot, you know.
1: And you had, and yet you had people like Rossi, yeah, and then anybody that tried to follow him, like Jorge Lorenzo, mm. gets shit canned because he wants to put his own personality on it with the. You know, his spacesuit at Laguna in 2012 and yep. jumping into the lake at Jerez after he won yep. there. Um, and Hulga is one of the nicest blokes you'd ever meet as well. Mm. Um, every time a rider goes out, whether it's a club racer or a yep. world champion, you're putting your life on the line every time you go out there for the thrill of going fast. Absolutely. And everyone's fast is a different perception. You know, yep. like, and you come
0: to any of this group, you come to ASBK group, and like, look at Philip Island the other week. Between first place, like, Okay, ASBK Superbike, 33.8, I think, was, you know,
1: 18th place.
0: Yeah. It's flying. Yeah. Like, you're literally putting everything on
1: the line at that point. Yeah, you People do. And it's, it. um, the, you know, you, these guys, mm. they're living in a bubble now because mm. of bloody social media. Yeah. That's another thing that's killed a lot of things too because back in, I'll say the old days, it sounds horrible, doesn't it? But um, before s- mobile phone or phones or smartphones... Yep. Now you can't because someone's going to be filming you to get that 15 seconds of TikTok fame or Facebook fame or Instagram fame to say that look what this guy did. Yep. And you can't go out and get on the piss and nah. carry on it and, and like the old days of the high cars and <laughs> <laughs> yeah just, the great. <laughs> it, there's
0: you know it's gotten professional. It's the, the sport is fast. Everything's fantastic still. But yeah, there's obviously a, even the riders must feel it. Yeah. You know, I'm sure a lot of them grew up in the dirt track scene and stuff and still got that last little bit of that, I think, you yeah. know. Be hard to, you know, everyone wants to be professional, no doubt, but yeah. there's got to be sort of a balance there, I feel. You live like.
1: it in a goldfish bowl. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And everybody can see everything you do. And if you say anything wrong, um, you know, like even Marquette, the moment he, got, he had his accident and arrest there at the, in 2020, mm. everybody's writing him off. Oh, he'll yeah. never recover, you know, he's gone and all the rest of it, he'll never yeah. come back, da da da. And like, what would you know? Do you know what's you in his and when he broke the arm with the window? Yeah. Right? I put something up on Facebook. Next thing I've got a um a mail from um, an Irish road racer, um saying, Braxy, you don't you've got no idea. Right? He's, he did the same thing, he broke his arm and he said, I did it opening a window. I broke my arm. Wow. So you know, there's unless you've been there, you don't know. So yep. don't criticise it. Absolutely. So you know, and see Brian, um, oh, what's his name? I'll come to me in a minute. So I'm getting on, getting old. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah, Brian yeah. Farquhar, the one. Oh yes. Yep. Man that's won more road, race, Irish road racing than anybody else. Yeah. More pins than ever. Yeah. Like
0: Absolute mammoth of a human, hey?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he sends you in and go, mate, you're wrong. Yep. That can happen. Really? Yeah, and uh, it was him opening a door of a transit van. That's what he broke what his, arm. his arm, yeah.
0: And, and they're the things that like people, if you're not living in someone's shoes, it's very hard to criticize. Yeah, you know? exactly. But having these things, microphones, having the access to an opinion, And we get sold an opinion that's a negative opinion, and everyone wants to see it. Yeah, you know, if you don't have clickbait on it, it's it's hard to get a view. Exactly, which is wrong.
1: Yeah, the world's full of well, social media is full of uh, well, cowboy cowards, keyboard cowards, whatever you want to call it. Yep. um, Of just being bullied, they want to bully. bully. They want to bring people down instead of bring people up. Absolutely. Which is a real sad state of affairs, but that's the world we live in.
0: Tell me this in in that time, like oh six oh seven, we obviously seen uh, Casey come into the GP. Christopher Million was there. Um, like, w- was it weird for you being in an Australia and seeing them coming in and su- succeeding? Like, it had been a while, obviously, since we had an Aussie. We had Mick there up until ninety nine. It's a bit of a bit of an era in between, been, wouldn't it? Yeah. So,
1: yeah.
0: Must have been, you
1: know, a bit. Um, like, it all came there at once, yeah. I guess, you know? Yeah, well, um, Casey was there. He'd been up and down a bit. And he yes. got into the um, Moto GP in 06. 06, yep. With uh, LCR team. Mm. Um, he was a bit of hard work. wouldn't say yep. it was all smooth sailing with him, but with Christopher Mullen, couldn't hey. meet a nicer bloke as far as. And there was guys like that, Hopper and those sorts of guys. Yep. Um, Americans are very similar. Like, mm. um, got the same sort of mentality, like, Colin Edwards, you know, his father was um, Australian from um, uh, Panania, in Sydney, not Panania, down the southern, in the Shire. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Um, And his Texans, I think, had got that similar attitude to Aussies. And, yeah, you'd you'd talk to him and I'd interview him on the grid and then you wouldn't do it for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them, and even an Italian, Roberto Locatelli, said the same thing. He said, Mark, don't you like me anymore? And I went, "Why? what have I done? And he yeah. said, well, you haven't interviewed me on the grid for three weeks. And I go, yeah, well, I don't want to interview you all the time. And he go, no, interview me, please, because it relaxes me. It makes me feel better. Wow. I don't get the nerves if i got... Because I never talk about negative stuff. Yeah. I always talk about positive, you know, you don't want to... Oh, you crashed this morning, mate. How did you feel? Or the yep. classic question of all bad sports journalist, how do you reckon you'll go today? Going to win, aren't we? Yeah, or yeah. they're going to go, or the smart-arse answers. Oh, I think I'll crash at turn one just for you to give something to write yeah. about or whatever. Like, um, why would you, like, Why would you say that, you know? <laughs> yep. You just put positive things in their head. Yep. Great warm-up, you know, like I saw you this morning, you're pushing through there, whatever, and they get that in, and you can tell by their banter back to you mm. whether you're on the right wavelength with them or not. And, yeah, it's just – with Casey, he was he, had, he was in the goldfish bowl a lot because everybody expected stuff from him. Yeah. And he didn't – he's a good bloke if you can get him at the right time. Yeah. But um, he just didn't handle the media side of things. Mm. Just didn't – and didn't like people around him. I've seen – I won't go into it here, but I've seen some things that you just shake your head with fans and stuff and just go, man. Yeah. And – I, the one that I'd always remember, and Barry Sheen, who was who you know, he had his 19th anniversary, his death last week. I got to know him and when I went to the first Grand Prix, I went to an 87, 88 at Donington. Wow. And I met him there, had a bit of a chat then uh, at the first Grand Prix at Eastern Creek. I was out with him and Kevin McGee. We went to a, a bar nightclub in one of the hotels in Parramatta. And... Barry had said to me, having a bit of a chat, and he said, oh, what do you do again? And I just said, oh, I'm just a low-life photojournalist. And he's grabbed me by the shirt and he's pulled me into his face and he said, I don't ever want you to hear hear you say that ever again. He said, you, without the photographers and the journalists, we are nothing. And what you're doing for the sport, what you're doing, what all you guys do for the sport is so important for our future. And he said, "One thing you got to remember, us blokes, everyone we pass on the way up, we pass on the way back down. Mm. And if you give somebody a hard time on the way up, you wait till you get it on the way back out." And I've always remembered that quote yep. from him, that you treat everybody the same. You don't carry on like you're a, um, a, a, a superstar. A, yep, superstar. Yep. And uh, I think that's where the, the majority of motorcycle riders can or races, whether it be speedway or whatever are a lot more down to earth than, say, a football player or a gridiron player or what because they can be dead in five minutes whereas mm. the risk on a footy field, okay, there is a risk, don't get me wrong. Yes. Any contact sport has got a risk. But here when you're doing, you're sitting on a thing, of <laughs> a combustion engine doing the yeah. best part of 300 kilometres an hour and things can go wrong and as we've seen it last year with those kids being killed. Mm. Um, you just don't know. You know, that you know, like poor old Harry Currie last year. He was the one that hit Berta Vinales at Hareth um, mm. and wanted to race the next day to get it out of his head but they wouldn't let him. But he was expected to go out and race the next week when he's had been mulling it over for the best part of a week and hes you've got to put that behind you. They know the risks yep. but... You know, that's why I think there's, a lot of them are so humble in the fact that they just know that I've got to live each day like it is my last because one day you might be right. I think there's that. I think that's a huge part. And for myself,
0: I think the other part is we... Motorcyclists have to travel so much as well to do their sport. Yeah. You know, your average football player is a junior anyway. They, you know, play seven kilometres away to this club, then the next club. I think that travelling with your family and that brings it back into a hum. Do you, do you
1: reckon that as well? Yeah, very much so. I think the... um. Family orientate, when I um, took over the, did the GP juniors from when it was the MRRDA um, and went to a few dirt track meetings to try and promote the road racing and stuff. Um, The family orientation is great Mm. and they're combining as family. But not only that, I think for the youngsters, it gives them a sense of purpose and direction. That They're like, we'll see this weekend, there's 10-year-olds out there. Mm. Going fast at the best part of 100 miles an hour. It teaches responsibility for your own actions. Yes. You're learning about engineering and physics. Yep. You're learning about communication with people as far as getting information back to your team. Yeah, You're getting media training because now you're getting a camera and social media plugged in front of your face at nearly every instant. Yep. So you've got to be there and you've got to have that support of family around you to be able to get through it all because – they're, all of a sudden they've got to be acting like adults and they are acting like adults but then when they get to the age of 17, 18, 19, they don't have to get a Commodore and do the burn out the front of McDonald's to show how cool they are. Ah. They're already doing the cool shit. Absolutely. And they're getting out there with their family and I know sometimes it's fraught. You've heard it before, Mick, the, yeah. the dirt tri- dirt. Track mum and dads, the yes. motorcross mum and dads. Yeah. And that was starting to come into road racing a little bit because we're getting so many from them. Mm-hmm. But at least now we're starting to, look, get that out the out the door. This is yeah. a completely different scenario. It's not four laps in a minute and all the rest of it. And I take my hat off to those parents that do the dirt tracks that travel that far. Yeah. To get 10 minutes on track over a weekend. Yeah. That's about what it comes down to. I couldn't believe it how little track time they get. Yeah. When you do the couple of practice sessions qualifying and maybe three or four races, yep, four laps is over in a minute. It's all done. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got to drive from Mildura, where I went to an <laughs> Australian championship, all the way up to North Queensland and stuff. It's like, yeah. how much does it cost you? And I'm at the moment I'm reading um Taby Price's book. Yes, yep. Endurance and I'm only a few chapters into it, and he's. Repeating how much his parents gave up to mm. the traveling to you know like he couldn't have couldn't afford a license or didn't have a license or anything, so he was um, relying on his mum and dad. His mum didn't want to go to the race anymore because it was too dangerous, but she was going to go for support to the dad so they could drive there. And like the the commitment that people go through for racing is just unbelievable.
0: Absolutely, and I, I look at uh, dirt track. They don't have the um, like you come here OJC right. They've got, you know, Gary McCoy's a, a tutor or um, yep. trainer, I guess you'd say. You've got the support from Dunlop coming in saying, you know, things about tyres, you start to learn that stuff. With dirt track, it's still very fam- – there's none of that, that support no. base, I guess. So over time, the sport might grow to that sort of thing. But to come here like this and see what they dealt with, like with media things, and it's pretty damn awesome.
1: Ten yeah, years well, it's old. Good as, well, the GP GP Junior's morphed into the AJC and I'm yes. glad that yep. – M.A. took it over because running it by myself, mm. um, trying to get things done. It's, it's so hard, how hard is that? Very, very hard, especially yep. when you're not getting much money. You're tipping your own money into it. Yep. When I didn't have a lot of money to start with and trying to – and going outside the box to go to corporate like the Harvey Normans and approaching them.
0: Yep.
1: Great idea, mate, but I don't know if our product wants to be associated with kids going fast. That's the answer. That was the yeah. the under the the most common theme that they didn't, even though they saw the benefit of it. Yep, they didn't. They're at it. Well, if something goes wrong, and our name's associated with that, they're always that. If it goes wrong, but then I'll go and sponsor junior rugby league and rugby union and. Yeah. How many kids get hurt and die playing that during the course of a year? Plus the media. The media attention that they get through uh, negative media attention. Yeah. You don't get that in road racing.
0: No. Or well, motorsport in general, pretty much. Well, know? we get
1: negative attention when someone dies. That's, yes. And then it makes the headlines all over the world. Massively. You know, dangerous spot. When uh, those – we had a bad run last year when four of them went – four mm. of them, I think, were between the Supersport 300s, the – Moto3s uh, and the CEV, mm. um, and it was just one after you. And it's, that's going to happen, especially when you've got parity, when you've got everything yeah. the same and and you're making the racing close, which is great for the spectacle. You're adding to the odds because everything's so close that things are going to happen quick. Yep. It's, I've got all the riding gear now, the tracks are ultimately safer than they've ever been. Yes. And you've got medical attention there on the spot. Like the Race Safe here is probably the best uh, medical response team anywhere in the world, I think, from what I've seen because they yep. ride on to anything that happens. Mm-hmm. But it's a sport that something's going to go wrong. Yeah. And it's not if it happens, it's when it happens. Mm. And, you know, we, I don't want to sound like a doomsday or anything, but it's just the reality of the, the sport. Like in my career as a commentator... In what's nearly thirty years I've been doing it, I've called eight races where eight people have been killed. Mm. And you've see, actually been calling the race and you see the accident. And you know there and then that something's instructed Reese Bansell, Kirk McCarthy, um Liam McGee, um going back further, you know, the different even Judd Greedy, has Greedy, he? Yeah. Um, all those ones, um and it's the old fact you know, you are you're talking to them at lunchtime, how was your race this morning? i will gonna kick some freckle this afternoon, and then they yeah. that's it, and you it's, just know it straight away. It's just that, yeah. yeah, not nice, but it's um, it's just one of the nature. Yeah. And as the old cliche, mate, if it was safe, would we, would we all be getting the buzz out of it? Probably not. No, no, and you've ridden bikes, I've ridden bikes, I've raced bikes, there's nothing like an when I went to the TTC a couple of years ago and jumped on a race bike for the first time in a couple of decades, and you forget that adrenaline rush on the grid. Yep. There is no, <laughs> nothing like it. Especially. Yeah, sorry. Oh, just especially in the heat of Darwin, you got the heat off the bike, the heat off the Benchman, you're just sweating buckets and you and the revs are building. And that mad dash down to turn one at Darwin when you're bouncing off each other, and and you come in and you just go, well, how good was that? And you've scared yourself, yeah. You know you've had those moments with you puckering the seat up through your ass and everything, and but you come in and you and that's what keeps people going, and I think that's what kept Rossi going for so long. Just loved it, eh? Because you know that there's nothing in this world that's yeah. going to feel even racing cars or carts. I'm not, I don't think you're going to get the same buzz out of that just that raw emotion that you do sitting on a bike on a on a grid. So as a motorcycle rider, I, I seen your tyres
0: after that event. I remember you putting a photo up. You're going pretty good. Yeah. Like, so. so as a rider, like where, where, where you know, what where, did you start riding? When? Which,
1: what, what and when, yeah. Well, I wasn't allowed a bike or a push bike yeah. when I was a kid. Um, and you weren't allowed up, a push bike? No. Growing mm. up in the city. Um, Victoria? No, Sydney. Sydney City, yeah, Um, yeah. Going back to my, this is where it started. In our family, they were called murder bikes. Really? Because... Uh, my father, um, when they were living up on the farm at Casino, had a couple of properties at Casino and he had a Harley sidecar. Yep. And this is going back to 1923. Uh-huh. Um, he'd gone off to work. They had a trucking company, uh, milk deliveries beside the farm. Mm-hmm. The younger brother, William, who was only 15, stole the bike and got one of his mates to drive it or yeah. ride it. And... Um, the bloke that was riding it was used to ride in an Indian. And back then the Indians had the throttle on the left-hand side and it used to work opposite. Right. they they open it up. You'd actually yep. close it off in our terms. Yep. And the purpose of that was the Indian, the police could use it so they could draw their sidearms and shoot crims while they were riding their motorbikes. That's really? Why, yeah, that's why they're um, and anyway, they were out, yep. had a crash. Um, William ended up dying. Right, so from then on, my grandma, she'd refused to live in that house. The, the bike got burnt, whatever, destroyed. Yep. Um, and from then on, um, no one was allowed, like my parents died when I was pretty young. But my push bike, I didn't get one of them until I was about 15 when my brother said, if you can get that one from under the house and fix it, you can ride it. And as far as getting on a motorbike, but as soon as I joined the Air Force, Yeah um got our license then that so was that's when you got into it yeah late starter 16 16 yep. 17 went to malaysia with the air force over there did a bit of motocrossing quickly found out that the dirt rides me a lot better than I ride the dirt it's <laughs> 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 tough stuff um, hey so stuck with the road yeah and um and I you know my dad was a champion push bike rider when he was younger and I've always thought because mm. I've I'm not too bad on a motorbike. Like mm. in Darwin, I got a third and a second and, you know, next year they're saying, oh, you'll have to be in the superbike class. And I'm going, no. No, <laughs> no, no. Because <no. laughs> no. I've no. seen those results. I'm like, you must be pretty handy.
0: And I've seen a few of the other photos from the island on different bikes. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Considered you hadn't ridden a race bike for – or you raced a bike for, what do you say, two decades. Yeah. It's a fair while in between. Yeah, You yeah.
1: yeah. well, um, know, put them as a lot. Last time I was doing the Harley series, did that sporty the series Yeah, the Sporties, yeah, can yeah. the yeah. yeah. like yeah. Ken Wooten days,
0: yeah,
1: Yeah. Out racing with them, uh, yeah, with Robbie Herman, like Robbie Herman's yeah. and all those guys, all the patch wearers and stuff, and yeah. and that's just started up again. They want me to get me on a Harley again for some. Uh, this, they're racing this weekend at Broadford with the Vic Champs. Mm. Um, I get back out on that, but and I don't ride on the road a lot anymore because it's just. It's not that it's dangerous, it's just you're looking at your speedo too much to wonder if you're speeding or not. Because yep. around the corner there's going to be a speed camera or a couple with a radar at you and there's just no fun in it anymore. No. Nah. Nah. Whereas on the track, it's just, I've just got to get me, I'm looking at a little 600 track bike for balance, so I can go out and because yeah. when people give you your bike, like the other week, I'm on an RC30 that's worth 100 grand. And i seen a photo of this. <laughs> you really ran, oh, no, you, really, someone come down in front of you, Hey. Yeah, and you're on the RC 30. Yeah, oh, that was um, talk about pucker moment. Yeah, <laughs> second session out on it. Yep, and because it was a um, ASBK, being down there three days before the ASBK test lot right, so the top was stacked. Yep, and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to take my s- time to get up to speed on this one. I don't want to be a wood duck in front of guys or whatever. Yep. I'll start with the medium slows. Mm. And got out with that and, yep, carving my way through, the, getting the hang of the RC30 and everything. Second session, I've gone into Honda Corner and gone past a couple of guys under brakes, gone through Honda, coming out into Siberia, going out wide. And then as I'm tipping in, I'm looking through the corner and I just see this flash up this inside of me and I am going, what the fuck are you doing there? <laughs> and as I've said that, the front's folded yep. and I'm just going, oh, no. And the bike, and I lost sight of the rider. And yeah. I was waiting... I was looking that way, not on the break or anything. I was just trying to hope for the best. Yeah. And I don't know how much I missed him by, but I'd, it wasn't a lot. So would he come through past you? Yeah, frozen? I was going through Siberia, like getting in the middle yeah. of the corner, and he's just come straight straight oh, through mate. the guts of it. Right under the bike, went first, and he followed. Yeah. And I thought, the bike, And then when him, I thought, I've got him, but... Yep. Thankfully, I would. if that had come down, I think I would have just walked over to the cliffs at Siberia and jumped <laughs> off without the embarrassment of going back to Peter House and saying, um, sorry, mate, but here's your bike back. Of all bikes too, like a pretty iconic. Oh, mate, beautiful machine. Yeah, machine, yeah. yeah. The, it's aged. The, they come out in 87. This is a 1990 model. There was 3,000 of them made mm. um, solely for the purpose of winning the World Superbike Championship. Yeah. And this thing's been fully tricked out. You know, um, Clyde Wolfen has worked on it. Wow. It's got all the whatever it can be done to it. And just, you look at where you want to go and it just goes. Nice bike. Yeah. 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 And the sound, you know, you hear it on full noise when you're standing on a pit wall or something and they sound good, but when you're riding that, it's just, I was hanging off the side and I thought there was a guy coming up the inside of me on left-handers, but (laughs) it's just the roar of this exhaust in your ear and it's like ah, oh, I want to hear some more of that and just – and a very narrow power band. Is that right? Yeah. 9,000 or 12 and a half. That's what has got, yep. Now, under 9,000, fluffing and farting and carrying on and I thought there was something wrong with it and I've come back in and told Pete and I, he said, no, you've got to re- – 9,000 or nothing happens. And I went, yeah, but it's re- only re- – yeah, we'll learn how to ride it. Oh, okay. All it's right. like a two-stroke, isn't it? you got that real yeah. little band. And, yeah. yeah, right. You but wouldn't expect that from one of those. No.
0: Like, just as an outsider. Especially so with a V4. V4 motor. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, very interesting. Geez, that's sort of like what you're saying about the experiences. Things yeah. like that. That's a yeah. priceless day.
1: Well, at the end of 06, yeah. um, the season, they used to have the Journos Day at Valencia. Did you get to ride one? Yeah. The Kawasaki oh invited me to ride the last of the 990s, the um. Like the, the, Westy ZX- ones. Like the Anthony West? No, Shinya. Well... I helped get Anthony West the ride in really? Kawasaki for 07. Yep. Because in 06... Um, oh, they're the 990 yeah. The 990, the last... Uh, it was Shinya Nakano's bike that he rode at the... Um, and I didn't even go to the after party on a Sunday night. That's how serious I was about jumping on it. They only give you four laps. Yeah. But Michael Bartolome and um, Ian Wheeler... Michael Bartolome was the team principal. Yep. And Ian was the PR man. They got me in... I've got me? They said, yeah, well, you've never ridden a GP bike before and we want to have that experience. It was for their in-house Kawasaki magazine. Yeah. And I went, oh, yeah, all right, I'll have a crack at that. And, and I'd never been on Valencia, never ridden with carbon brakes. Wow. Um, and never ridden a 990, 270 horsepower machine before. And um, I, I'm Troy Course is a very good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, through met through racing and um, partying, going out and all the rest of it. And <laughs> yep. he's He gave me – him and Troy Bayless gave me the two early warnings. Mm. Turn three and four or four and five at Valencia, the first yep. right-handers. Be very careful there on the cold tyres. Mm-hmm. And Troy, of course, has said to me, when you leave the pits, grab a handful of brake and just ride the front brake until you get the turn to accelerate through the gears and you'll know when the carbon brakes are working. And I said, "How will I know?" And he said, "You'll know." Really? And sure enough, I knew because when you got up to the heat, going into turn, t- it just went bang. And I thought, "Ah, they're up to s- up to heat now." Wow! So then you right and did the four laps, and on in four laps I did, I got under two minutes. Yep. Which they've come and they've like Gary McCoy was there, Brock Parks. Nicky Hayden was hanging over pit all these people were hanging over pit wall, like looking at Braxy. And yep. it was they're coming up, man, you're you're a lot faster than we thought. <laughs> and I'm going, Well, I'm not gonna crack and to tell you the truth, I shouldn't have been shitting myself as much as I was before I jumped on. I remember Is that right? standing in pit lane, my knees were shaking. Mm. I was just I could hardly get onto the bike then you got the factory ride there, they've started up on the warmers on the rollers and everything, and here you go, mate, it's all yours. What a cool feeling. Yeah, and did the four laps and come in, and I'm all beaming, and you know, like they've shown me the lap time, and they've gone, Oh, can I do another four laps? And Michael, in his German accents, No, no. that's why we only give you four laps, Braxy. Yeah, it's done, it's done. <laughs> done. Wow. And then they've, at the end of the day, all the teams come up to Yamaha, Ducati, Suzuki said, Next year you can ride our bike. We didn't know whether you could ride or not, but now you're proven it. Yep. Then in that twelve months, mysteriously, all those they stopped doing, it, stopped doing it. Because that was the last year, wasn't it? That yeah, yeah. last year they let in, the nine nineties, and the last year they let any journo's ride a bike. Is that right? And it was funny because that day Ken Wooten was over there, <laughs> he was on a Kaddy, and um, I've come out of the pits, and I'm the first lap, I'm going through turn four and five, been just getting the throttle going as um, the two Troys had said to me, and I looked over and there's Wooster, these bright pink leathers. Yep. And I started laughing in my helmet because I'm thinking, he's crashed it, he's crashed oh, it. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, but he'd only run out of fuel. I hadn't fueled it up on him. And I got back there and I'm running up, did you crash? And he go, no, he's slapped me and gone, no, I just ran out of fuel. Um, really? And I went down to see the team and said, did it really run out? Yeah, yeah, we didn't put enough fuel in it. Damn, I was hoping he would have crashed it. Put it, it. down. Because
0: <laughs> like, you look at that, like I remember in Motorcycle News at that time. That was one of the big articles for the end of the year was, you know, you get to ride the mm. GP bikes and a different perspective, eh? Yeah, oh, very much so. You know, yeah. one of us, that's like one of us being able to get to ride a bike, I yeah. think that's pretty cool. So. It was just
1: a, I never expected that one and to have it happen and yep. to have the sensation of it than yep. um, to get it in print. And at the, when I was saying about Westy, the, when it happened, I didn't have any leathers or anything. Right? Yeah, right, yep. And Westy was riding the 250 GP bikes at the time, and he said, "I, oh, he's giving me bi- helmets, boots, leathers, gloves. There wow. you go, they're yours." Yeah. And so I always joke that Westy rode the bike before Westy did because I've got his leathers on. Okay. with Been Westy across the, the backside of me. Yep. And Then when they, um, when they were looking for someone, I said, "Well, why don't you get Westy? He's doing all right. He can ride a bike, don't know." Mm-hmm. And then after lots of pushing and shoving and everything. Um, um, they, got, they got the ride for him. Wow. So, and then I remember we went to Laguna in 07 mm. and I said, oh, Westy, you better come, we'll do a lot because I used, always used to do a walk the track. That was one of my habits, walk the track, yep. take some notes, then ride a push bike around it and see where the braking bumps and stuff were. And so we had Westy, Nicky Hayden was the one I went with the most, Nicky Hayden, Chris Mullen, Westy. Yep. Valentino Rossi took me once. John Hopkins took me a couple of times. Different tracks around the world, right? Yep. Nicky was the first one that ever did it to me in Qatar, the first Grand Prix I turned up to. Um, but we're at um, Laguna and I said he'd never been there before. Mm. And I said, well, we're going up here and we're going, just be careful coming up here and we're coming to the corkscrew. And he's on full noise on this thing doing about 90, 100 K's, what these little things do. Yeah. And he's come up to it and I'm like, I hope you know it. And all I heard him say was, oh, and he just throwing it down and the corkscrew, unless you're right, it's like dropping yeah. off a cliff. It's just straight down. And then we've come out and we've gone into the dirt on the exit and I'm hanging onto the, onto the scooter and he's, he's he pat me on the leg and I'm going, yeah, yeah, I'm still here, I'm still here. And he's done a couple of laps and came and he's going, man, you could have told me. I said, I was warning you, mate, that it was coming up. And he said, yeah, but I didn't think it was that bad. And it was like even on a scooter, mm. uh, yeah, and... Even, well, um, before that we were at Turkey, one of the best GP tracks ever It should be still on the calendar. Yeah, yep. Went out with Hopper and um, Chris on the um, Suzuki 500s. Yep. (laughs) Gone to the end of the, after about the third lap, the back straight and Chris has just grabbed my leg and pulled me in and he didn't say anything and we just tipped it into this final turn and to get round the hairpin and it's like bouncing across the deck. And I think, oh, but no helmets, no, no, we're just shorts and carrying oh, on. No. I, and we got in he said, oh, sorry, like, we, we cooked the brakes. I didn't have any at the, back, the bottom of the back straight. <laughs> I go, is that why we were bouncing over the tarmac? Yeah, but yeah, things like that. Mate. just, um, But going to learn the track yep. and even when I was walking the track with Qatar for the first time, um, Nicky's come up and he said, oh, do you want to ride? Yep. I said no. I walk. I walk the track, and then if you're still around, I'll yeah, I'll go. I just want to get the have a look at it. Yep. And got towards the end of it. And next thing, you know, a scooter behind me, and the um, Appalachian Draw with Nicky, Come on, man, jump on the back, and I'll show you the lines. Yep. So the, from then, in, in nearly every track, one of them had come around, and yep. like Nicky said to me, "How come other guys don't? You must be a rider." Mm. And I went, "Yeah, but I think it's part of my job to get there." Like there's Certain places where you've got, like Mangello, especially the Casanova turn. Remember, Rossi did that helmet with yep. the, the big the cat. When you're riding that or walking it, you come up a rise and you, it's there. The apex is there. You just don't see it. And, you're blind. Yep. And the, the ride it and walk it, then you understand that what these guys are going to go through mm-hmm. instead of just sitting in a commentary box and oh, they're going through Casanova. It gives you a lot better understanding of where they're actually in a bike and what they're doing and yeah like nick valent all of them and say well this is what we're doing here i'm in third, so i'd be either recording or madly taking notes on the back of the bike while they're riding around yeah so that then i can go back and then um suzuki uh lucio chicanello is always good they'd give me a telemetry readout oh, wow. of the gearing the speeds through the different corners yep so what gear they be in? What speed they are in? How many braking? You know the G forces on brakes and all that Brake sort of chase, stuff. So you know, that yep. that and I said, does anybody else get that? No. You we we know that you can understand all this, mm. and it was. And then I got accused of being too technical in my commentary, from this particular person I mentioned yep. before, and I went, but I'm supposed to be getting through to these people. Why that guy's running wide, or why is he? Yep. carving himself up or whatever and the reason being he'd never ridden a bike before so he had no no concept comprehension of, yep. of what was a rider was going through like if a, a track goes from wet to dry and you don't get a chance to make your changes you're going to be pushing wide when you're exiting corners because the thing's so soft and everything and yep. you're only explaining to you or anybody else sitting at home why that's happening and 99% of the people watching television are motorcyclists absolutely so yeah. you try and get that across to them yep But yeah, it's um, and I still try and do that now, because it's about painting a picture, isn't it, for something. Yeah, well, even going to the bend last year, like um, after going to Darwin with um, Phil Burke, you know, he rang me up and said, "Oh, he got one of Brian Start, one of the BC Performance's ZX10RRs." Yep, took that up to Darwin for me. Wow. So that's the bike I rode up. Was it really? Yeah. Green missile, and like, I nearly killed myself on the first session on the Friday morning. Because it's got an auto blipper on it. Yep. And right on, first lap out, second lap, all right, hold it pinned. I know I've know i raced there before, so I knew where the braking points and everything were. And I've gone down past the braking point, big handful, down, click, click through the auto blipper. You just click the gears and it changes. Yep. I've had a brain fart when I've got a third and I've revved it and the thing's just taken off. Wow. And I'm going and I've just grabbed a big handful of brake. I've just passed the guy on a 600. Big handful of brake and that hard that it's just pitched on its nose. I thought I was over the bars that I grabbed it that hard. Wow. The back was flipping around. I had both feet off to pegs. The peg hit me that hard in the back of the leg with my leathers and boot on. I still had a big bruise there for about a week. And I had the presence of mind to get off the... I don't know how I did it but to just get off because I'm going, I'm not going I can't crash, I can't crash. Yep. And got round it and come back and did it another couple of times and got back into the pits and gone. I think there's something wrong with the bike fillet. You know, it's it's not – and he sat me down and said, what are you doing? And he said, mate, the auto blipper." And I went, oh, of course. So you know that, he said, way. just when you t- when you go to change down, just shut that throttle and the bike will do the rest. Yeah. Those things you only do – it's not like Bart Simpson, you only do it once before you learn your mistake and – the guy that I passed came up to me after. He said, your name's not Brax, it's Mark Hith. How the hell did you get away with that? <laughs> he said, all I saw was the bottom of the bike and you had looked like you were sailing over the bars." And as you say, green missile, like they fly oh,
0: 1.4 kilometres straight or something, it's yeah. an
1: insane straight. Yeah. So and I, long. I've got footage and I'm just blasting past yeah. these 600s. What a time. Oh, <laughs> mate. And then because of that, Evan Byle said to me, because um, every time I've gone to the Bend, they've always had a ride day afterwards. Yep. And every time I've gone there, they've gone, are you staying for the ride day? And I went, no. Um, but this time with the ASBK in um, December, mm-hmm. Bilesy rang me up before and he said, you've got the sister bike to what you raced. at. It. It's here if you want to ride, have a yep. um, Champions Day. And Scott and Cole at Champions were champion people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mate, come and have some fun. Evan ended up in hospital. He crashed in one of the races, beat, beat himself up badly. Yeah. I got a message. Braxy, the bike's in the garage, tyre warmers are on it, all you're fueled up, all you do is just go out and have some fun. Mate, factory. So I've gone out then realised how, because as people are, oh, so it's really flat. Mm. No. It's, not, it's like saying Darwin's flat. Until you get out there and have a look yep. or ride it, you realise how many undulations and how challenging Darwin is, let alone how challenging um, the bend is. Yep. The bend, like turn 17, the second last corner, I ran off in the first session because I'm tipping and thinking, there's the apex. You basically get past the corner before you tip it into the apex. It's like, wow. wow. And even on the straight, yep. you cannot see the end of the straight. Really? You come up the hill yep. and you go down a dip yep. and then you come up a rise under where the pedestrian overpass is at the pit exit yep. and that's where you see turn one. And you're like, there it is. Because you don't see it till you ride on top. Here. And then you, people said, oh, it's like Philip Island, isn't it? Is. I went, no. Philip Island, you got a nice gradual down the hill and yeah. nice fast sweeping corner into a fast turn two. Yep. The bend, you go turn one, turn two, turn three. It's like bang, bang, bang. That's and it's one very after quick. the other. Yep. And then that run up to turn five and six and you just fall. N- it's just, yeah, magic track. And I'm very lucky that I can get on. And Dave Johnson was there when he was timing me. Yep. And he's gone, wow, for the first session. And I got down to a 216, I think, in the four sessions I yep. did. And they're going, mate, that for a first time and that's pretty. I said, yeah, but look what I'm riding. Yeah, nice, but you still it. got to steer yep. it around the track, haven't you? Absolutely. But yeah, it's um a magnificent track in Darwin. That is good fun to ride. Darwin, yeah. Hidden Valley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. the second favourite. Well, second fav was second favourite the Phillip Island. Mhm. Because um, you, you know, when I first looked, oh, it's got a straight, few corners link it together. But yep. that run from turn two up to turn three, four, and five. Yep. That. And then you join it in the hairpin at the middle, and you start again through seven Ducati, they call it, and up to turn ten. That has got to be one of the most challenging corners in Australian motorsport. Yeah. And is that second two three four like a really nice flow when you're?
0: Yeah. It looks like you come over. You're just on the
1: gas the whole time. Shifting gear, come through, and yeah, yeah, beautiful looking part of the circuit. So. And the same with turn seven to. Ten and then down the hill to thirteen and fourteen. Mm-hmm. You come up to that and you got because it goes off camber. Yep. As you get into the approach for, it. and if you run it wide, you know you got to. Yeah right. So you're on the brakes yeah. and off camber. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's easy to yeah. I've crashed there, so I joined the club at turn the turn tw- uh, turn ten crash. You don't need that. <laughs> you don't need that. Eh?
0: What are you like, uh, mate? I I know uh, I want to talk to you for hours and hours, but we're a bit over an hour in um, already. Wow. Um, we're at ASBK, obviously, Queensland Raceway. What's your, what's your thoughts about this for this weekend?
1: Um, depends who can get their brakes sorted the best. Who doesn't mm. have any brake photo over the 16 laps of the superbikes? Mm. Um, I haven't been here for eight years. Mm. So I'm not sure who's going to come to the fore. You have to think Maxwell's the favourite, but you've got to turn the Ducati, and it's not that fast-flowing nature of Phillip Island yep. and other circuits that we've got that he can really take advantage of that the power of the and the talk of the Ducati. But you know, there's this year it's really close. First yeah. session we had Mike Jones up the fastest. Yeah. Um Troy Herfoss reckons he's okay. He was having transponder issues, which put him down the time sheets a lot. Yeah. Um I'd like to, I'd like to see Troy get up again. Give him yep. his as in Herfos to give him his confidence. And then Brian starring and I'd like to see Cruella Day kick some freckle too yeah because he's yeah he's a good guy and he's been knocking on the door for a long time so he's right on there isn't he yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but there's so many of them there really is you yeah. know
0: and I, I know we've spoken of it and you know um the times at Phillip Island were so damn close you know you've second through to 18 separated by you know second and a bit yeah
1: there's nothing in it. Nothing in it. You know, it's like and it's like MotoGP. Anybody can be winning on their day. Absolutely, Mandelika yeah. this weekend or however you say it, that should be pretty good. Mandelika, Mandelika. It? Well, it depends which um, accent you're talking. Which about. dialect you've got from Australia? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I haven't. There hasn't been a, a time run and no those sessions run, but I'm thinking pole there, will Growl take it out this weekend. Yeah, we'll, we'll get this out uh, after that, so we'll yeah. come back to that and see where we're at, mate. But. And I wouldn't be surprised if his brother ends up on the podium with him on the Aprilia. Because if you look at the testing times, yep. those two are up there in nearly every session of Sepang and uh, Indonesia. So it could be there. And, like, to see
0: um, Paul last, last time as well out, he looked like he had a real consistent pace yeah. for, for a race pace yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, he's always had that one lat sort of speed yeah. dialed, but he looked like he had a really good consistent pace on I Aprilia. think so, and
1: he just asked too much of his tyres in that one trying to break away from it. Yep, and...
0: Yeah, just got and as long up. as Remy
1: can keep um, beating his teammate, that's all you need, isn't it? Yeah, getting that's, used to it—that's the main thing. And uh, young Joel Kelso, like we'd, we've got so much talent coming through now. Absolutely, the yeah. biggest contingent of Aussies going overseas ever this year. Is that right? They're racing yep. different championships,
0: yeah. And and you look at all the championships too; they're probably the healthiest. Um, you know, Aussies are going for one thing, but yeah. they're actually the healthiest. They've probably been in all the classes, whether yeah. it be CV, Moto Three, obviously. With Joel, like Joel's race pace last week. Like, He was in it too. Like, he was mm. just got caught off the back of that. Um, I think it was the top 12, it was like a 12 group ride, like a ride there, but not much in it, is there? No,
1: no, no. So, should be good, it should be good. And keep an eye out for Harry Voigt and Jacob Ralston. I think those two kids have got a very bright future for sure. Yeah, for and, sure. A, and uh, young center ages on the now that he's in the Moto 2 category, his size mm. will be a lot more. Um, a lot more suited to that than a little 125, 250 Moto3 machines. The 125 thing is still entrenched in your brain, isn't it? It is. It's mate. just there. Yep. Yeah, that was a good thing about the go-karts last weekend, two-strokes, the smell of two-strokes, the yep. sound of two-strokes. Yeah, One of the biggest mistakes I reckon we made was going off two-strokes. I agree. Yeah, I really do. And
0: I, it, it was sort of like the disappearing of the privateer. Just about, you know, like yeah, it, if you had
1: a good if you're a good tuner, yep. you make up for everything. You could. Yeah. Now you just gotta have the same equipment as everybody else and ride the wheels off and hope you get there. Parity. Yeah. You know it's Parody. come back down to
0: that and where yeah. you're pushing everyone to the absolute limits yeah. and Yeah. Mate, I hope we do this again in a setting where we can sit down and chat. No, a bit anytime, further. mate.
1: Um, you know, Funny uh, the interviewer is now the interview. Yeah, that must be <laughs> <too> weird, mate.
0: <laughs> so, well, I'm terrible at this, Like, but thanks for so much, obviously, coming in and um, taking the time out of your day here. And, yeah, we'll do it again soon. All
1: right, mate. No worries. Cheers. Mate, thanks, mate.
0: That's all we have time for in today's show. If you get the chance, head over to YouTube and hit subscribe on the Talk and Chatter page. Also, head over to iTunes and give us a star rating and a review there. It all helps to get the podcast out there. A big thank you goes to everyone that's been doing this already. And uh, we'll be back with another show soon.